Welcome to the Wild Remedies Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Ancora, and I'm here to bring you captivating stories from some of the most fascinating people I've connected with on my own journey of physical, mental, and spiritual well-being. So sit back, relax, and get ready to be inspired. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to another episode of the Wild Remedies Podcast. Today, we are chatting with the legendary Mark Groves. <laughs> if you haven't heard of Mark Groves yet, you're probably living under a rock. Um, he's just such an absolutely wonderful human being. This conversation today is incredibly powerful. I think it probably will be one of the most important podcasts that I ever do. And... Mark and I, we've known each other for a few years, and we connected a little bit more during the pandemic due to our shared views on the response. And today you're going to hear about those perspectives, okay? Mark, in particular, his perspective is incredibly valuable because of his 14 years experience as a pharmaceutical sales rep. (laughs) Um, So he has a lot of perspective here. We both come at all of this that we're presenting here today from a place of love and compassion. So I hope that everyone listening really gets something from this conversation along with perhaps a new, a new point of view. (laughs) So a little bit more about Mark in case you don't know about him. He is a human connection specialist He's the founder of Create the Love and Mind, M-I-N-E apostrophe D, and he is the host of the Mark Gross podcast. If you haven't heard his podcast yet, go download it. It's fucking amazing. He has got absolutely fabulous guests on there, like huge guests. It's great. Such great, such good conversations. So in other words, Mark is a speaker. He's a writer. He is a motivator, creator, and a collaborator. Um, His work bridges the academic as well as the human, inviting people to explore the good, the bad, and the downright ugly. We'll be pointing some of that shit out today. I can tell you that much. (laughs) And also the beautiful sides of connection. We're also going to be chatting about that. His purpose is to empower individuals to step into their power, transform the way they relate to themselves and others, and create authentic change for a life and love that they'll look back on with a resounding fuck yes. Okay, so I'm not going to reveal too much more. I just want everybody to just settle in, get into this interview, and keep an open mind. You know, maybe you'll learn something. I think we're at a point in time now where it's really important that we start listening to each other. I mean, like, (laughs) we should have always been doing that. But now that things are settling down a little bit in the world, a lot of healing needs to happen. And in order to do that, we need to be able to listen to each other, listen to different perspectives and be able to have conversations around that. And that's why we are having that conversation on this podcast. I just feel it's incredibly important that we see all views and um, let's get into it with Mark Groves. Hi, I'm Maddie. Let me tell you a quick story of how I'm supporting my PCOS with Wild Remedies Spice Chocolate Magic Latte. First of all, I'm a registered holistic nutritionist, so you know I'm investing in finding long-term, sustainable approaches to wellness. 
Living with PCOS, when things are feeling a little out of balance, it's common for me to wake up groggy, have blood sugar crashes throughout the day, or become totally overwhelmed by daily stressors. My morning coffee was causing blood sugar spikes, anxiety, and tummy trouble, so I swapped it for Wild Remedies Spiced Chocolate Magic Latte about a year ago. And believe me when I tell you that the change has been insane. Each sachet has three servings of wild Siberian chaga, a powerful antioxidant-rich adaptogenic mushroom that helps to fight inflammation and fatigue and regulate the immune system. It tastes like a creamy hot chocolate with just a hint of spice, and it keeps my stomach calm. Since swapping, I feel more clarity and calm throughout the day, and my morning magic latte helps to set clear intentions for the rest of my day. I saved 15% on my monthly subscription at wildremedieshop.com and at $2.50 per serving, it's saving me a ton on Starbucks runs and supplement orders. Check out the links and promos in the show notes to get your own. Your adrenals will thank you. Mark, my friend, how are you? I am so psyched to have you on the Wild Remedies podcast. I'm so excited to be here. I'm doing well. I have sunshine on one side and not on this. I'm like, oh, one hand is totally lit up. Um, I'm excited to be here. I'm lit up. <laughs> yeah. Just chilling in Tofino back in Canada. Yes. Yes. Made my way back north, which is, yeah. comes with mixed feelings. Mm-hmm. I feel you. Well, we're going to chat a little bit about that today. I wanted to have you on because of your unique experience as a former pharma rep and also as a human relationship expert. And I think your perspective on what's gone on in the past three years, um, specifically with the pandemic, is really important. It needs to get into as many ears as possible. And just thank you. (laughs) While I have you here, just thank you so much for publicly raising some very logical (laughs) concerns (laughs) about some pretty fucked up shit and abusive behavior that we've seen from our quote unquote leaders, you know, in the past little while here. And it's sown a lot of division that I think it's time to heal. And um, I'm just really hoping that our chat today can open up some eyes, some hearts, and just broaden the perspective around a conversation that really should have been a conversation in the first place. (laughs) Right. It should have been always had, not, it should have been had by people in, uh, places of authority. It should be modeled by people in authority. Mm-hmm. And, and and when I say authority, I don't just mean politicians. I mean, it should have been facilitated by academic centers. It should have been facilitated by political parties. It should have been facilitated by public health. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's really been modeled is an absence of conversation that if you want to have a conversation, then you're anti or you're selfish or you're, it really created these binaries that were prisons, man. It was hard to escape. You, you know, it's mm-hmm. kind of like with the freedom convoy. If you were mm-hmm. supportive of the freedom convoy, which so many people, man, I saw eyes light up in Canada. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I saw it just robbed from them, just like taken from them by saying yeah. all of a sudden it's a racist movement. And you know, were there people involved in the in the movement that that had ties to, yeah, like point zero 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 one percent, you know? But to erase a whole movement, and so you saw that weaponized by mainstream media. You know, I never was highly critical of mainstream media before. I was not one to. I'm, I'm not. Pol- I'm. I wasn't political. Mm-hmm. I have always had thoughts about pharma since I worked in it. But I wasn't, you know, largely outspoken about it. 
but the last three years have really alarmed me. I've seen more. I, now I think all the corruption that that is so implicit in Western nations, you know, it's obvious in other countries, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not obvious here. And I think we're starting to see the power of lobbying, the power of corporations in these places. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's been it's been very heavy to witness, for sure. Um, but before we dive into all of that, why don't you tell everybody who doesn't know a little bit about your background and your current expertise? Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me here. And uh, my background is, I mean, I, I very early on in my life had a very keen interest in understanding relationships, but that was more just for myself to understand how to be successful in them. And I also was super curious about sales. I love studying how to manipulate human behavior. I mean, let's just call it what it is. I loved learning how to get people to switch from one product to another. I began my like young first, well, it wasn't my first job, but one of my first jobs was working at uh, an electronic store called Future Shop, which is kind of like the Best Buy of the United States. And you know, we wore suits, we sold extended warranties. It was like the 40 year old virgin a little bit. And (laughs) (laughs) it really was. And I learned so much about influence in that job. I I mean, that was honestly probably the best sales training I ever had because I had like two or three sales trainings there. I worked there for years while I was in college. And then I got out of college and I started as a pharmaceutical rep, which I really liked. I was a rep for uh, almost 14 years. And, you know, I really grew up in the company that I worked at. I spent my, I started when I was 22. I was one of the youngest reps and won lots of awards, was really good at it. And, um, I started, I had a relationship in that was romantic and I didn't know why. I didn't know why I wasn't good at them. I didn't, I didn't know why when it ended, I felt like a failure when I, at the same time also felt liberated. So that Mm -hmm. was a weird paradox to hold. Um, so I started to study them cause I thought no one's really prepared me for this. No one's taught me these skill sets. You know, I, you know, I would, I'm blessed to have had parents who, you know, were pretty good at engaging in dialogue. And my father always asked me lots of questions about my heart, which I think is rare for men. Mm-hmm. And, but yet I just felt like in Catholic school or in school in general, we're not taught how to relate. I was taught things like the Pythagorean theorem, but I was not taught, how to handle conflict, how to turn it into deeper intimacy, how to um, hear my partner. I wasn't taught any of that. Why do I get defensive? You know, all these really important skills. So uh, long story long, I guess, I, in studying romantic relationships, I went back to school, took positive psychology, which is essentially the psychology of understanding what's right with people. And I just thought no one's telling the truth. So I started to write and I started to speak and I started to share and that did really well. It started to explode. And then I left my work because also looking at pharma, I was thinking, well, when I look at the research, one of the greatest causes of diseases, I mean, the greatest cause of disease is inflammation and inflammation. One of the core components of it is emotional dysregulation and conflict in relationships, not understanding ourselves, trauma. And so I thought I can't, work in an industry that's about putting a bandaid on something that we can get to the source of. And if we could all learn how to relate better, I mean, gosh, that would be, 
uh, so liberating for everybody. And so that I've been doing for the last 10, you know, almost 10 years. And uh, I didn't know that the crossover of being a farmer rep would would actually be so interesting. You know, when I watched the pandemic unfold, I was like everybody else, you know, I was watching these videos from China, people falling on their faces. And I thought, wow, this is fucked up. Like, I don't, I'm afraid of getting this. And then they said they were using the PCR test and I used to sell a product that used the PCR test. So I'm like, well, you can't use that for diagnostic purposes. And I knew how it worked and I wanted to know what cycle thresholds they were using because as Anthony Fauci said, anytime you go above 35, it's just dead nucleotide. You can basically find a positive if you magnify enough, uh, but people can learn about that test on their own. That's a whole other can of worms. But that was the first kind of flag. And then when I knew people getting COVID, they weren't falling on their face. And that was another flag. So I was like, hmm, this is interesting. And then I started to see that when they promoted it to pregnant women. And I was like, well, that data is not there yet. Like you can't just say you can use this. That didn't make sense to me. And the way I saw people reacting to me sharing and wanting to discuss it, that was also a really big red flag for me because I thought these people are being taught through the language of government and public health to dismiss and attack anybody who poses any question. And so, yeah, that it was just such a calamity, you know, it's like, it's like domino fall after dominoes fall. And, you know, for a bit, I silenced myself because I was like, wow, the momentum of this propaganda is, is crazy. Like people are so reactive. But the data, you know, that I've spoken about from the beginning, lockdowns didn't have any data. I shared that I was more concerned that they would cause more harm than they would benefit. I'm on the record saying that very early. And they did exactly that. When you look at the infection fatality rate, you know, you kind of go, well, this doesn't make sense for people below a certain age to take on the risk of an unproven intervention. I also saw that people were starting to become like little pharmaceutical reps. That was super interesting because when I sold products, you'd get these things called objection handlers. And they basically would give you an instruction of what are the most common objections we get for this product. And then you'd get what study to use to overcome the objection, how to structure your language and overcome or overcoming the objection. And uh, I saw the exact same thing happening in public health. So I'd see, let's say, for example, one of the most common objections early on was there's no long-term data. These are new. Objectively, that's actually very true. They've never been on the market before. mRNA vaccines have never successfully, there's never been a successful product on the market. So that was true. There was no long-term data because a long time hadn't passed. That's, that's pretty simple. Uh, but I instantly would see someone say, actually, that's not true. mRNA vaccines have been around forever. And they'd all have these sort of like canned responses. So mm -hmm. that's how we got here. Mm -hmm. And now we're here. And Yeah. Yeah. I know. I Well, I had a very similar experience. And for me... <laughs> In my human design, I'm like the investigator, right? So I didn't really, I don't know, I didn't identify with that right away until I actually did a reading. And then I don't know how many times I said during that call, you know, the time that I, um, you know, my research here. And when I when I looked into this and this research that I did, and I was like, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe there is something I to like that. I like researching, I think. 
Oh my God. Yeah, clearly. But it was the same thing for me where I was just kind of like, something doesn't seem right here. And I was just looking at the data that was clearly stated on the government of Canada's website. Right. And I'm just comparing these graphs to, you know, the flu (laughs) over the past 10 years. And I'm going like, huh. Okay. Is this a pandemic? Yeah. And there's all of this information coming out. Right. And it was scary. I mean, like I remember for myself too, I was like, holy shit. Like I remember wearing like gloves in an elevator. (laughs) Like I was scared to touch shit. Right. Like everybody was wigging out. Everything was closed. Like I remember when the gas prices crashed and I was like, okay, like it is fucking Armageddon. Like I've I've never seen anything like this. And it was just eerie. Everybody, there was like, the fear was just palpable. There was so much of it energetically. Right. And so it was a very scary time, but still there was something in me. It was like my, well, you know, me just taking a look at some data, but also my intuition. And although there was fear there, I was like, something is just not adding up. And then thankfully there were some doctors that, you know, started speaking out a little bit. Um, one in particular that I absolutely love, and I don't know if you've chatted with him. I think maybe you have, but Dr. Zach Bush. Oh, Zach. Yeah. I had him on my podcast a couple of times. He's uh He's he just, just made it. He just gave us such perspective on viruses, how they work, mm-hmm. how they're actually often collaborative with. Yeah, I mean, we have trillions of things going on all the time. Bacteria, yeah. you know, it's such a. Yeah, he was incredible. He really made. I think when voices started to speak up, we just felt less alone because that inside yeah. voice that wasn't allowed outside mm-hmm. got validated, and uh, I think it woke a lot of people up. Or not even woke them up, but gave them permission. That might be mm-hmm. a better way of seeing yeah. it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I just found him in particular, you know, really knowledgeable. And one thing that still sticks with me, and, you know, we've seen this exact thing play out that he said, you know, three years ago, you know, viruses run their course in two years. And like they become said that, yeah. less, yeah, like they become less, less deadly over time. And you never vaccinate in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> it's just not what you do, right? And my whole thought process this whole time was like, okay, so we see that this is, you know, definitely something that we want to protect a certain portion of the population from. And then there was also data coming out that, you know, there were certain underlying health conditions, um, specifically with obesity and things that were also contributing to obesity, having, yeah. yeah, having a bad outcome. And so I'm going like, okay, well, why are we not protecting those people specifically? And why are we shutting down the entire world? <laughs> over this, right? right? Which just caused so much damage. Like just so, so, so much damage. It's just mind-boggling. And now, yeah, that, and now they're like, oh yeah, now they're admitting it. Oh, maybe this wasn't the right choice. <laughs> well, there's no clear data to show that closing schools, lockdowns obviously we know were totally harmful. You know, and, and that was, the idea was, I can understand the first two weeks, we'd never been in this circumstance, blah, blah, but no pandemic preparedness plans, which they just threw out a window, by the way. I interviewed Jay Bhattacharya, who's a professor of medicine at Stanford, you know, in public health, who that's what he does. And he was one of the co-authors of the Great Barrington Declaration. You know, Julie Panessi, who's the professor of ethics at, uh, used to be. <laughs> at, yeah, love at, her. Oh I, my God. I forget what university, I think Waterloo, or no, Western, at Western. Mm-hmm. Shocker. And, she, yeah, right. And she was saying that it was a violation of medical ethics to be mandating things. Anyways, and people can have their own opinion on that. 
But what was interesting is she said that formally we judged whether someone could speak out about something based on their credentials. They have a master's degree, they have a PhD, they went to Harvard, Stanford, you know, all the, you know, classic Oxford. But she then made the point that no longer was authority determined by credential, it was determined by agreement. If you agree with a narrative, you had authority. If you didn't, you were seen as a grifter. Because the three uh, authors of the Great Barrington Declaration are um, Dr. Gupta, Dr. Kuldorf, and Dr. Bhattacharya. And that's Stanford, Harvard, Oxford. Like three prominent epidemiologists, public health doctors. And people just, uh, I mean, if anyone's seen the emails got released of Francis Collins talking to Dr. Fauci saying we need to do a very public takedown of these three fringe epidemiologists. I'm not making that up. That's not a conspiracy theory. You can go look it up. And that, and that was very early in the pandemic. So that shows you that there was a concerted effort to cancel all dissent. It also played really well into what was going on culturally, culturally cancel culture and the inability to dialogue uh, was already pretty magnified. And this just fed right into it. And public health officials they use what are called nudge tactics. Nudge tactics are known. You can Google it. There's lots of studies on nudge tactics. There's psychological tactics to influence behavior. And of course, when you're thinking of public health, that's actually an important thing, right? You want to influence behavior in order to reduce spread, blah, 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 all these things. But you're actually not supposed to exploit fear. There is an ethical line and in the UK, they were seen to have violated that completely. Recently, there were some ads that came out from uh, the city of Toronto. Oh, my gosh. I just are, saw this. They're awful. They got deleted right away by the city of Toronto. But there, I have them saved. They're a perfect example of dark, manipulative, exploitive, fear-based nudge tactics. So those are actually when you when you consume humans with fear, you consume them with cortisol, you consume them with um, inflammation from the cortisol from the heightened state, and actually your body just responds in an inflamed way, and you then make it so they really have a very narrow window of tolerance. Their nervous systems are jacked. Window of tolerance is the ability to dialogue. We know it in romantic relationships when our window of tolerance closes because we're reactive, we're defensive, we're critical, we're whatever. And so we sort of collectively became that. And the collective nervous system of the population was very collapsed. And then what can you do when people are embedded with fear? Well, you can, you can get them to attack each other. You can divide them. And that happened to romantic relationships, that happened in friendships, that happened in communities, cultures. It happened in whole nations. And I think that's a very large disservice to humanity. And it was toxic. I mean, we're going to look back in history, I hope, and be like, wow, what were we doing? Yeah, I know. One can only hope. My One of my biggest fears is that, I mean, <laughs> there's already so much that's been covered up, right? And it's like, I don't know what it would take in order for the truth to really come out, but I think we're still a ways away from that, unfortunately. But you know, that's why it's, it's important coming. to have I these mean, conversations. You can't hide excess mortality. You know, mm. you can't hide that. 
there's a lot of cardiovascular outcomes that are mm-hmm. pretty obvious, but mm-hmm. you know, again, uh, it takes physicians speaking up. That's what it takes, you know, mm-hmm. and, and may, who knows, maybe we'll be saved by insurance companies because of their actuaries. But I mean, who knew, <laughs> who knew that that might happen, right? Like the nemesis of, <laughs> of exploiting insurance on our outcomes. And then they're the ones who are like, wait, these premiums need to go up. Mm. And so who knows, but you know, there's a lot of confounding factors. I just saw a recent study on long COVID that the theory is that it's the spike that creates it. Well, the spike from the vax or COVID can lead to these symptoms that are sort of autoimmune like, mm-hmm. and, uh, I thought, isn't that interesting? It's like so confounding. It's going to be so hard to delineate the difference, which I think, mm-hmm. I don't want to say is nefariously on purpose, but it is convenient mm-hmm. because I'm not one in defeating deep conspiracy theory. I'm just one into being like, that's interesting, that coincidence. Mm-hmm. But everything that I thought, you know, you were talking about things that sort of made us wonder, because again, I was like everybody else. I was reading the clinical trials. I was making an assessment. Is this for me? Is it not? I'm not anti-vax. I've got all my vaccines in my whole life when I go travel. And then when I read the trials, I was like, no, this just doesn't make sense from a risk benefit for me. Yeah. And I saw that it never was proven that it reduced transmission. So I'm like, it doesn't do that. I know it doesn't do that. I read the trials. And then I saw them saying it did. And I was like, you're not allowed to say that. Like, there's not an indication in pharma, in that industry, when you create a clinical trial, or you create endpoints in the trial, it's going to show this. And when you prove that with statistical significance, you can say that you can apply for a grant or sorry for approval from health Canada, the FDA to be able to say this thing reduces this, or it does this absent of evidence. You can't say that it's actually illegal to sell anything out of indication in Canada. And so when I saw the public health doing it, I was thinking to myself, wow, like public health is becoming a marketing arm of pharma because it's illegal in Canada to sell direct to consumers too. But yet I keep seeing that happening from public health. And the other red flags for me were on top of the testing and the inability to dialogue about anything. There was also that um, there wasn't allowed to have any conversation even about its origin. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that was really interesting. I'm like, why wouldn't we want and how we measure death? Like what if, if someone dies from COVID or sorry, with it just happens to be a they test positive, but they are already palliative, right? They have like three months to live and they die in three months. They'll say they died from COVID. And I thought, wait, in a public health crisis, like a pandemic, I've never been in one of those, but I would imagine you'd want the cleanest possible data. Mm. Like you'd want to know, is this from this or is it from that? And also I really wanted to know why when someone got vaccinated and had a side effect, were they not allowed to discuss it? Like, Mm -hmm. and immediately physicians, if someone died with COVID, they were like, COVID did that. But if someone died right after the vaccine, they didn't do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And if you saw every single politician, maybe not every, but almost every, if they had COVID, they had the exact same line. Mm -hmm. You know, I can have COVID, but I'm so grateful. I got my shots. (laughs) And stay up to date on your vaccines. And if I didn't get it, it would have been so much worse. 
there's no science in that. Like it's so, it's hard to not say, but it is like, it's stupid. And I thought it's really funny because if someone took ivermectin and they said, oh, I took ivermectin, I'm so glad I did. It would have been so much worse. We'd all call them horse paste lovers, you know, like it just shows you that if we can't critically think about these things, then we're going to end up with so much dissonance. Like, so the world doesn't make sense. And when the world doesn't make sense, we feel very unstable and we're actually l- agreeing to live in a world that's not based in reality. Mm-hmm. That's like every abusive relationship ever, you know? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's really interesting <laughs> talking about abusive relationships because a lot of these concerns that we were voicing at that time and being canceled and ridiculed and all of these things are now coming out as truth, right? So like, right. I right. believe ivermectin is now listed on, was it like the CDC website as yeah. one of the top therapeutics or some were not top, but it's on their website now. It was listed, it was listed as an investigative drug. So that wasn't necessarily true how people posted that. Okay. It was listed as under investigation or under clinical trials, but it did recently have a study come out showing significant reductions in mortality, I believe in hospitalizations. Like I remember the exact endpoints, but there is a recent study now that did show it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, you know, you think about what's that joke that a conspiracy theory, just give it six months, you know? So they're they're mainly, they're basically premonitions and what an interesting use of that language. You know, they did change the definition of vaccine in order to accommodate mRNA injections. That was you know, again, there was the other, was this so is gene fun. therapy. If you said this was gene therapy, you instantly got the pharma rep objection handle. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's a vaccine, but it's, it is actually gene therapy and we yeah. should just be able to accept that. I, I don't know why there's so much concern. Like just when you can't connect to the truth, you're not, you're in la la land. You're not in reality. Mm-hmm. And then you can't make great decisions. And don't we want to make good decisions? I mean, that's, this is people's health. This is people's lives. They should be able to discuss things. Informed Mm -hmm. consent is necessary. I'd love to hear the recordings of every single physician and pharmacist who sat down with the people who got this. And did they get full transparency? Did they get all the possible risks, especially early on? Was it absent of losing a job, losing belonging? I mean, gosh, the amount of coercion. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. it's really hard to even process mm-hmm. how we get here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that whole concept of like being cast out, right? Like, I remember the first time because I was I was quite outspoken on on my social media. Just um, I know you were. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a big following like, like you do, but I still, I just, that doesn't minimize it. That's still, there's significant psychological risk speaking up and, you know, whether someone chooses to now or chose to early, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It's just, we have to speak up to break the spell. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I remember, I remember the feeling in my body, like (laughs) there was something that I wanted to share and I was I was, I felt physically ill. Like I was sweating. It was almost like coming out in a way. Well, because I did share something once on Facebook. I usually don't use Facebook at all, but I posted something on um, 
whatever, my wall, whatever it's called. And it's interesting because you seem to get a lot more comments that way when than if you're posting on your stories. Facebook is more reactive too, I find. It is older, wild. It's an older demographic too. It's yes, yeah. But I mean, I posted something and it was just, it was something curious because there was um, some post somewhere and people were talking about reactions that they were having to, to the vaccine. And so I just reshared it and I was like, you know, this is really concerning you guys. Um, you know, I, I know that I'm seeing this in my community. Like, are you guys as well? And the amount, like, and from family members, like just immediate hate and like people like you, you know, and othering, othering, othering. And and from my own family too, that I was just like totally blown away from. Why is that not a helpful question? That you're Seriously? Asking, right? Like, like in a, in an, in a regulated time where people's nervous systems are regulated. That's actually a very helpful question. If some, if it was about birth control and we said, yeah. Hey, I'm seeing this. Imagine what happened when there was all those teratogenic effects of, um, Oh man, I forget the product that was used in, uh, it was used for morning sickness in pregnancy. Oh, right. And there was all the birth defects and stuff. Imagine if you had posted, if Facebook existed at the time and you had posted mm-hmm. and you got attacked. I mean, the again, that's the psychological manipulation of the collective gaslighting. Attack anyone who opposes government or public health. It's so it's brilliant from a marketing standpoint. Like you can't mm-hmm. from a propaganda perspective, it's fucking brilliant. But it's ter- it's uh, so traumatizing for you. It's so traumatizing mm-hmm. for the person who's actually saying, like that guy who was the professional mountain biker who got yeah. vaccinated and then he c- couldn't compete. He was a three-time national champion, I believe. Yeah, because of his injuries. That was so yeah, heartbreaking. And, yeah. He's and just he sobbing. Vaccinated. He became so he became suicidal. Yeah. And I remember yeah. a friend of mine saying, oh, he just wants to be famous. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, he already was famous. He was a three-time national champion mountain. Like, yeah. He was famous for what he loves, not yeah. famous for losing what he's loved. Yeah. And that that to me just showed the uh the level of psychological um just how how hard it's been on people because I you know yeah. I don't necessarily villainize people for that. I just say, "Wow, who created this?" Mm. Cuz they're the ones who are actually responsible. But we have to we're responsible for waking from our own spell too. Mhm. You know, people aren't yeah. absent of responsibility. They can't say, well, I was, I didn't mean it. or Because you look back and like, I don't know, was there anything? I'm not talking about the like serious extreme conspiracy theories, like the vaccine has bots in it. Right. I'm just saying like the things like, hey, they're going to have vaccine passports. They're going to have hotel quarantines camps in Canada. They're going to do this. They're going to. They're going to split us apart. They're going to put all of that came true. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. But it was like people had no problem with it. Right. Especially folks that complied because then there weren't any detrimental social effects for them. And so, well, it's not affecting me. They want the privilege for doing good too. Right. You mm-hmm. know, there's that righteousness. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, they weaponized righteousness. They weaponized mm-hmm. the goodness of people. Yeah. You're a good person if you do this. Yeah. You're taking care of grandma. 
Mm-hmm. It, and then that means if you didn't, you're not. Mm-hmm. And so people who really fought the coercion, I just, man, I'm, I have so much admiration. And even if people got it and didn't want to, I still have admiration. There's not like a structure here or a hierarchy. But man, to withstand that, to, to know your own goodness, I mean, that is so inspirational. I just, it makes me emotional to even think to go against like seriously the greatest psychological operation in human history. And we could argue the motivation is for public health compliance, sure, but it still was the greatest psychological operation in human history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it truly was. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely hard. And I mean, what, one of the blessings I feel is that it's really allowed me, and I feel like a lot of people who stood their ground during um, this whole scenario, is that you kind of, you were able to find a tribe. And I think that's important. I also feel, you know, even though there are friendships and families and things that have been damaged through this, um, you know, it does provide an opportunity (laughs) for some personal and spiritual growth, right? Yeah, um, they can be deepened. They can still be deepened if mm-hmm. both people are willing to take responsibility for the aspect of their contribution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is interesting because you think about it, it's like my experience is that one side of it, and I hate to say side, but like the people who are more pro-choice uh, have are being asked to really live in grace. Mm-hmm to have grace for that people were hijacked psychologically to have grace for the shadow and darkness that is in everybody. And that is really, you know, to have reverence. I was listening to Francis Weller the other day, who's a psychotherapist and he calls himself a soul activist, which I think is great. And he said to live with reverence. I mean, that's it. That's the goal. And what is reverence? He defines it as, protection, love, and compassion. So reverence requires protection. So it requires boundaries. It requires values that we stand upon. And so, you know, I think people are really being asked to find grace and reverence, mm-hmm. which is fucking hard to live when you're mad, but you really <laughs> have to let that anger cook you. You got to direct it towards um, just finding so much humanity in yourself and in the people who you feel wronged by. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying this is easy work, by the way. Anyone listening, like, oh yeah, okay, I'll just eat that shit sandwich. <laughs> That's what it's like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, and don't 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 expect, you know, that that apology either, right? Like, it's figuring out how to. I just, I know for me, I don't feel like I'm going to be getting any from you know some of my friends and family, and, and I have to and make peace with let that. It be. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's like, can I live? Can I love? Mm-hmm. You know, I I really do have a lot of compassion for people who were hijacked by it. Because again, who, yeah. it was very hard to stand a chance against what's happened. Mm-hmm. And so it really, yeah. again, it requires that depth of, I mean, that's spiritual practice. That's mm-hmm. loving your enemy. That's realizing you're not enemies. Like that's division succeeding. Yeah. And this is about letting that melt away because we Mm -hmm. just take on the same identities that other people take on. You know, we might create opposition with someone which makes us, and both sides are righteous, you know, and righteousness Mm -hmm. is not connective. 
No. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, it's interesting. Um, I did a podcast earlier this week with one of my spiritual advisors. Um, you know, mm. she's she's psychic, right? And so she yeah. like channels messages and things. Ooh, and that's cool. It's very cool. She speaks something called light language, which is very, very, very amazing. It's so cool. Um, but I asked her at the end, I was like, what do do you have like a message for the collective? Like, what can you share with with everyone or what wants to come through? And she said the biggest thing right now, and I'm seeing this a lot in in the spiritual community, um, there's just this overwhelming message of unity, right? Like we need to heal. It's time to come together. Unity is the most important thing. And for me, like on a spiritual level, because I always bring it back to that, it's like, yeah, we just went through one of the most fucked up things, I think. (laughs) Well, so fucked. Talk about a collective initiation. Yeah, for sure. Right. And there are a lot of people that are waking up. There are a lot of people that, you know, felt like they had no choice during, you know, everything that, that, that happened. And there continues to be more things that are brought to light that are waking people up. And it's, it is so hard. Like (laughs) that awakening in itself like you see these memes on Instagram where like there's like a little girl or something getting like f- flung around like a merry-go-round. Oh, and, like, she's a little screaming. Asian girl. It's so I know. She's so cute. Or like that one girl, she's like on the zip line and she's screaming and she's like, oh my God, oh my God, this is so amazing. And then she's like, no, 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 no. I hate it. I hate it. And then it's amazing. I haven't seen that one. You'll have to send it oh, to me. Oh, it's hilarious. I'll send it to you. Um, but like <laughs> it, like an awakening is so – fucking hard and painful, especially when the the institutions and things that you have come to rely on and trust your entire life, you realize are just corrupt as fucking hell, right? And like, for me, I've always, well, not always, but because I've had to go through a health journey my entire life, pretty much, I already knew that a lot of what is being pushed by, um, you know, Western medicine and pharmaceutical companies really doesn't have the greatest good in mind for people, right? Like these are businesses. <laughs> they right, want to make money. They, they don't make money when you're well, right? They sell you something that gives you another symptom. And then they, they sell you something on top of that for that symptom. And then on and on it goes. And I think like to, to me, it's just wild that people haven't figured that out yet. Right? Like it's just, right. you know, you kind of have to it, go through a process it, though. Right. Exactly. Like it just takes the perfect moment. You know, it's kind of like you could read a quote a thousand times, but if you're not open and receptive to the teacher, to the book, to the thing, Mm -hmm. you're not going to, it's that moment. I get people all the time who are like, I wish I had found you five years ago. I was like, Mm -hmm. there's someone saying what I'm saying five years ago. You just weren't ready and that's okay. So stop trying to wish you woke up earlier and just fucking breathe all that beautiful air in because now, you know, I think, I really think that true liberation is just being able to be this filter between is it true do i accept that belief that thought Mm -hmm. that could be about anything you know for me it was waking up and realizing what does relationship mean for me is it what i was told or is it what i want is it what Mm -hmm. i want to create i don't inherit good relationships it's not something that's found that i'm lucky i create them And so how can I be more compassionate and curious about someone else's perspective? Because, you know, if someone was terrified wearing those weird double 
mask things where it's like looks like they're um around agent orange you know like i don't have a judgment about that i want to know why are you so afraid Hmm. because there's a fear that maybe they have a health fear likely they have a fear of dying and and whatever fuels that i mean i think one side is afraid of dying and that someone else will create it and the other side is afraid of losing sovereignty and that someone Hmm. else will take it Hmm. so yeah really people are orienting around similar values they're just orienting totally differently mm-hmm. and so i mean this is just magnifying what's already existed implicitly mm-hmm. yeah it really makes you see what people are capable of when they're scared i think we look back at different wars and different things and we go how could anyone mm-hmm. get to that place and as sam harris says in his book free will we look at someone else's life and we look at the homeless person who's on heroin and we go just quit just get a job But if we traded places with them, cell for cell, experience for experience, we'd all be the heroin addict on the street, you know, and that, that gave me a lot of context, that argument, because I thought, isn't that so true? We project, we project our own free will into other people's lives, not taking into account their traumas. And so that's just a really, that's a challenge. Mm -hmm. But man, do we ever want to label like I was better. I did this Mm -hmm. better. I'm better. I'm more awake. I remember someone saying that to uh, Marianne Williamson. What happens if you're more awake than someone else? How do you wake them up? And she <laughs> said, why do you think you're more awake? Maybe they're th- saying the same thing about you. you know? <laughs> and I thought that was just kind of brilliant. You know, we don't know till we don't know. Like it's such an ever awakening thing. Like you said, you like see the systems are corrupt and you think it's just one. You think it's healthcare. Mm. And then you're like, oh, wait, it's the food industry. Oh, wait, it's it's almost all because it, we, a tale as old as time is the people fighting against the top 0.1%. Yeah. Yeah. Them trying to impose their will to help us. It's always mm. under the guise of helping, Yeah, which, you know, for the good, yeah. for your own good is the excuse of every tyrant, you know? So mm. it's a, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, I feel, you know, you mentioned sovereignty and now more than, I mean, this is always something that should be cultivated. I feel it's tough though, because a lot of people seem to want to give their power away, <laughs> you know, to other people, to authorities, to health professionals. And it's frustrating for me right? Um, as somebody that has just gone through a really tough journey already, understanding right, like nobody's nobody's going to help me but me, right? right. Like I've been no. at the point where I'm just like, you know, in bed, suicidal. I'm on eight fucking prescription medications and the doctors are telling me that I'm just always going to be sick or going in, <laughs> my goodness, like saw a cardiologist for something. I was like, why the fuck do I even need to see this cardiologist? But my doctor sent me because I was having an issue with a hormone. And he's just like, yeah, okay, cool. So uh, what we're going to do is we're just going to get a catheter and we're going to um, fish it up the artery yeah. on the inside of your, <laughs> your thigh yeah. and just, you know, take some pieces of your adrenal glands out. And then whichever one is excreting the most um, aldosterone, we're just going to cut it out. And I'm going like, okay, this is really wild. And I'm going, I have had a lot of stress in my life. Like, do you think that the excess amount of aldosterone that my adrenals are excreting have anything to do with 
the really traumatic breakup that I went through because I was dating somebody who was in a cult, which, you know, was very traumatic and all of these things. And he's just That'll like, do it. Ab- absolutely not. That is absolutely not the reason. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, your intuition is like, that's exactly the diagnosis, FYI, well, you know? And that's the thing. And I think the intuitive aspect is really important too. And for me, I saw a lot of parallels with what was happening and this, you know, toxic relationship that I was in a few years ago was a gift in many ways because we just saw a lot of cult mentality happen, right? And I watched this happen. What cult was it? Was it the the one from the vow? The one that he was in? Yeah. Um, oh gosh. Can you it's, share it? You don't have to share it. I, I don't even want to say it. I don't yeah, even don't, to, don't even bother. Don't even bother. It, Let's not give energy to it. It's this creepy old dude who calls himself the reincarnation of Jesus and Buddha and all of this shit. And he gets people oh, that'll to do buy, it. like really expensive. Yeah. Like it's just, it's wild. It's yeah. It's the, the insanity is <laughs> very apparent, but I was like, you know, I had these red flags, but I was like, Oh, you know, I'm never chosen, so I'm just going to shove that one under the rug and just pretend that that's not happening because I've never really had a significant relationship before. And it feels good on lots of other levels, but I'm just going to ignore this and ignore this and ignore this. But inside my intuition is screaming at me being like, yo, bitch, like you need to get out of here. You need to get out. We're going to get into a health problem instead. Well, my goodness. I mean, it ended up he just snuck home while I was out of town one day and just packed up his shit and ran off and I never saw him again, which created a lot of trauma for me because yeah. major abandonment. Abandonment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I learned my lesson, right? Here's what's ha- here's what happens when we self-abandon. And for me, this was, you know, through this process with the past three years, I couldn't do that to myself again. Right. It felt like self abandonment. I could see what was happening. You know, Mm. it looked different, but it was almost like I had a similar experience, although it was very uncomfortable and, you know, took like a year and a half (laughs) to heal from. I I, I needed to see that. And um, yeah, it was reflected for me again. It was very tough, but this time I stood up for myself. And I'm so fucking proud of myself for doing that. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's so beautiful. You think about what are in the moment our greatest traumas or can be are often are actually, you know, hidden liberations, the moments that that we're being invited to explore, look at, you know, change and, and what a beautiful thing. You know, there's a saying that the opposite of trauma is choice and, you know, you made a choice which is really beautiful. And that's why, you know, some of the repairing of traumas is just keeping small promises to ourselves. It could be making our bed every day. And it seems like such a small thing, but it actually what it does on a very significant level is it says, when I say I'm going to show up, I do. I keep my word to myself. And so it's this little commitment of integrity that when push comes to shove, you start to build the muscle that says, I got me. And so it can start with simply making your bed. And it can also be a total massive reclamation by leaving or, you know, saying no more. It doesn't, it can be subtle, but it can also be this super powerful one decision one day. And what a powerful thing for you to observe about yourself. That's usually, I mean, it sounds like you are inspired by yourself, but I I mean, that's such a beautiful story. 
Yeah. I mean, I don't know. And here you are. And here you yeah. are. Imagine yeah. looking back at the the woman who was packed up from and left. Mm. I mean, they're totally different. But the same, yeah. you know, like one hasn't, the wound is fresh and doesn't realize the wisdom in the wound. Mm-hmm. And here you are now with the mm-hmm. wisdom, like integrated. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a, a lot of why we have been, you know, you were talking about people giving up their sovereignty to authority. Well, a lot of that is because we are infantilized. You know, we are not, we are treated as children mm-hmm. by our governments, by the people who say, we know what's better for you than you do, by our parents, by, and so we don't go through initiations to grow up, to actually become adults. And Francis Weller talks about how, you know, we're basically an adolescent culture. And that's so true because like mm-hmm. if we were in adult relationships, I'm not saying people aren't, but I'm saying if we weren't, although a lot of people aren't, if we weren't, we would say, if you speaking your truth and you sharing to me what's real for you, in what way does that take away from mine? Like in what relationship would I not want you in your most boundaried, most self-expressed, most embodied, most impassioned self? I mean, I don't lose anything. All I actually do is gain. But if I'm living in a scarce world and I need to, you, you to be predictable, I need to know you're going to be here always because you made a vow, then I'm going to try to control you. Mm. And that occurs in, in all types of different dynamics. We could be the controller or we could be the one who's being controlled. But either way, neither are sovereign because they both require the hook. And so this work that we we are always being asked to do interpersonally, romantically, collectively, it always comes back to, can I honor you as a being, as a sacred being? And in doing that, I honor myself. And I also can consciously and explicitly say, that's something I want to share. Like, I want that to be an agreement and a value of our relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, I look at the people... Some of the people I love most in the world were vehemently against some of the thoughts I've had, were vehemently against the choices I made. And I remember saying to one person specifically, I really love and respect your opinion. I'm, I can understand where you're coming from and I respect your choice. And they said back to me, well, I don't respect yours. And I said, well, then we're not even on the same We're not even in the same place because I'm in unconditional love Mm -hmm. and you're welcome not to be there. You're welcome to not respect my choice, but we can't dialogue because there's not actually mutual respect. Mm -hmm. Like I'm here listening to you and really taking in your fear and your anger, but you're not listening to me. And unless we can get to that place of mutual respect, we're just not. And there's just been such a lack of that in both directions. There really has. I just feel like it was taken from one direction, yeah. you know? And so I think for a lot of people, there's collective trauma that we're all experiencing. And then there's like a subset of really traumatized people who've been excluded and othered. And this has happened through, I mean, if you add on all the different intersections to that, I mean, I'm a white straight guy. Mm-hmm. I don't have all the intersections that someone else can have. You think of marginalized communities, you know, what are the lowest vaccinated group in the United States? African-Americans. 
Mm. Who are most affected by mandates, marginalized communities. You know, and I was told when I was speaking up that I was, I was privileged, <laughs> that all they see when I speak up is privilege. And I said, you know, I don't understand that. I see silence as a privilege because the people being most impacted by these are not the laptop class. Mm-hmm. They're the people who aren't positionally given as much power to their voice. Mm-hmm. And so like, if I don't use my voice, am I not exact? Am I not enacting privilege? Yeah. And my yeah. friend who said that to me was like, yeah, actually, I see what you're saying. <laughs> it's good. Oh, well, that's good. A little I, validation. <laughs> well, I just don't, for me, I just kind of go, wow, like there's so much trauma already. Mm. And it's like, there is a way out though. You know, it's not like there's just a left and right wing and a pro and anti. Mm-hmm. The problem isn't how do we get the left to see the right or the pro to see the anti. It's that even in that idea of that dichotomy or that binary is that there's not this massive space in between. Mm. Yeah. And that actually is it. It's like bring nuance back, throw back mm-hmm. Thursday's nuance, you know, mm-hmm. like throw back Thursday dialogue. Yeah. But dialogue means we have to put down our arms and we have to actually be willing to be wrong. We have to be willing to be compassionate. We have to be willing to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So that's hard. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, that kind of leads into, I guess, we'll have to make it maybe my last question because I think you have a hard stop here soon, don't you? Um, well, but that, yeah, we got a little bit of time. Okay. That would be, um, okay, so with all of this, how can we start to repair <laughs> the relationships that, that have been ruptured? So, I mean, you just mentioned like both parties need to be willing, right? Yeah. I mean, there has to be a breathing into our, our own humanity. There has to be, we're, people are wounded regardless of what their position is. They're wounded. They're Mm -hmm. feeling not included. They feel like they don't belong. They feel like they're not seeing eye to eye. I think one of the reasons for that is that we think that agreeing with one another is actually love or connection, but actually love is being able to hold two different views and actually see the intelligence in both. There's a saying from um, Jonathan Haidt in his, he probably shares it in his his new book, but I've heard him on a couple podcasts talk about it, that his rabbi said that beyond two thoughts, feelings, opinions is a third, and it's seemingly wiser than the first two. Mm-hmm. And I love that because it really shows you in the podcast that he did with Barry Weiss, it was called How America Got So Stupid in the Last 10 Years. <laughs> and... <laughs> He basically was saying that the cancellation of dissent, like the inability to allow dissent, mm-hmm. actually makes both sides more dumb. Mm. And so part of repairing relationships is actually having a conversation and sitting down with people and understanding how did we get to where we were. Mm. Because, you know, I think about it, like if you kicked out a family member of yours because they voted for a certain politician then that means they got you, like division got you. Shouldn't we want to understand why more than 50% of Americans voted for someone like, let's say, Trump, because that's usually the subject used, Hmm. as opposed to just wanting to reject everybody who has a different view than us? In Mm -hmm. Mark Wolin's work where he talks about inherited trauma, 
He talks about how anything you reject in a family system, a human system, will always go underground and reroute and get more powerful. Mm. And so our families are not necessarily places where truth comes to be held. Like, let's be honest. Dad's an alcoholic, uncle, blah, 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 diddled people, you know, like, and I'm not minimizing any of these things. Um, but it's like what happens generally in families and cultures, especially very religious cultures, which culture and religion are often synonymous. And you think at the ethos of so many cultures like Canada, there's also colonization. You have all of these things that the society is actually structured generally to not talk about in families. Yep. We take on roles to not deal with the dad who's the alcoholic or the yep. mom who's a narcissist. What happens is, is everyone takes on a role. So the human system can function, function. Everyone can stay alive. And maybe that's orienting around the alcoholic's needs or the angry person or the narcissist or the addict, or even the person with the chronic illness, which is, a hard paradox to be stuck in because we feel guilty that we're not a priority, but we know someone's ill. And so what happens is, is everyone orients around this one thing and, and everyone's survival strategies and personalities are created in order to not talk about the elephant in the room. Mm. And so healing family systems, healing ourselves is actually being able to point out the thing to be able to it's call so out hard work. It's so hard. It's hardest because it's what is seemingly an abandonment of your role and your duty mm. is actually where reclamation occurs. Like the mm. greatest rebellion you can have is to begin to just question, to just to accept reality. But so many of us were raised to ignore reality in order to function. Like our religion's not as unconditionally loving as it says, or our dad's abusive, or whatever it is. Then to be able to connect back to reality is actually a giant. Um, it also requires rage. It requires mourning. It requires deep grief. But man, that's that's like what connects you to the totality of the human experience. Like grief, a good life is not just joy. A good life is actually experiencing love on such a profound level that you experience the pain of it. Mm. You know, it's like having, a, if you've ever had an animal and your animal dies, it's like one of the most painful things. But that is like one thing to trade for all of the wagging tails and all of the licked faces and all. You know, it's like we look at love and we go, well, oh, I lost it. Or I'm experiencing this grief. I wish I'd never had it. But even in relationships that might even feel manipulative or we were misled, there still was a truth to a feeling. You know, and we spend so much wanting to erase it so we can erase the grief or cling to just the good. We're not really seeing the wisdom that exists in the grief. You know, did I love correctly? Did I love in the right direction? Did I have boundaries? Did I have reverence, the protection? Mm. You know, it's easier now, I think, to look back at the last three years and go, okay, now we're ready to look at where's the wisdom. Mm. But when you're in the middle of a trauma, that's, yeah, you can't, it's like when someone loses someone, you say, everything will get better. Mm. It's all going to be all right. And you're like, get fucked. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so maybe <laughs> we're kind of almost there. I think we're getting there where we're 
able to now look back and do an assessment and mm-hmm. then hold the people who were very manipulative and to accommodate themselves. Uh, we can hold them to account. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for this conversation. It was Thanks very enlightening. Me. Yeah. Just, I so appreciate it. Thanks for creating the space to even have this conversation. You know, it's not a common, you know, I don't hop on a lot of podcasts and they're like, tell me about your thoughts on the last three years of emotional <laughs> trauma. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> let me tell you. Um, oh, like, tell me how you to- stop attracting unavailable people. Mm-hmm. And I'm That's like, usually well, what it's about, right? People don't want to consent would be good. Yeah. <laughs> Which that would actually be quite relatable to that. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, the irony is that all of our relational patterns are, again, just symptoms of where we don't choose ourselves. So Mm. we think it's about the unavailable person. We think it's about the dating narcissist. We think it's about these things. But what you always find in the curious adventure of understanding yourself and your patterns is you find yourself. And mm-hmm. more of yourself, more of your totality, more of your love, more of your boundaries, more of whatever. There's a great quote from Richard Rohr where he says that when you go on a journey to find God, you find yourself. When you go on a journey to find yourself, you find God. Mm. They're not separate processes. And I've always, I, I only really kind of understood that recently. Where it's like, wow, everything is about restoring what's sacred that's it. I don't know that there's anything more. It's like to just remember and live with reverence for yourself. Because if you're not living with reverence for other people, you're not, you don't have a sacred relationship with yourself. If you mm-hmm. can step on an ant, you haven't yet found that relationship with yourself. Mosquitoes, I don't know about them. You might Probably be able to still, yeah. I've tried to find the spiritual mission in them, but they love me. It's like, it's hard. I can't. I'm like, I don't really consume chemicals, but man, I'll take a good spray of off if I really need it. <laughs> especially this summer in Canada, we had so much rain, especially earlier in the summer. And I was in the Kootenays, couldn't even sit outside. Oh. I was like, oh, I went on a trip. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to like lay out my little blanket and do some meditation. No. It was like, no, no, not happening. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. Brutal. If you're in like Nelson around there. I was around. I was yeah. in Spokane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Spokane Valley. It's so bad. But, I mean, the beauty of it, right? The, it's hard to sit outside, though, when there's tons of mosquitoes. And I think that is maybe the ultimate spiritual right? <laughs> quest. Yeah, I, I think do so. it without spray. Sorry. <laughs> uh, all right, my friend. Well, thanks for how, having me. Yes, thank you so much for being here. And how can people connect with you? What do people usually go to you for? I mean, like we're, you were mentioning dating advice, all of those things. I mean, I think a lot of people already know who you are, who are going to be listening to this. But can we? Can you help people find their voice if they feel like, you know, standing up, standing up for themselves? Yeah. I mean, my work used to orient around romantic relationships. I mean, it, people still find me due to that, a breakup, a loss of (laughs) wanting to dive deeper in their relationship. But at the end of the day, as I said, you always find the same thing. Mm. And so, yeah, my work is really shifting to be more about really actually just saying like, Hey, if you want to step into your power, find your voice, create something, monetize your purpose, do what you love, be who you want. That's the work that I do. 
And mm-hmm. if the avenue is through a breakup, I have a course for that. If the avenue, I have a course called Rediscover Your Wholeness. That's really just about for one month, just living in integrity. Mm-hmm. And you just can't go back. You know, like you said, you're, you're like living in this space now where you can't leave your integrity. Integrity yeah. is liberation. It's, yeah. it's, it's alignment. It's everything. So yeah, they can find me at Create the Love. If they want more specific psychological breakdowns to the uh, what's gone on the last three years, I have an Instagram called It's Mark Groves. Mm-hmm. But those are starting to kind of merge now. I don't know what it's going to look like. That's the beauty of creating. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, it doesn't have to look a certain way. And people go, "Well, that's not good branding." And I'm like, "I don't give a fuck." Because <laughs> Because all these rules you're supposed to do are just what fuck people up. So I'm like, nah, I'm going to do what I want. And um, I have a podcast where I interview Mm -hmm. specialists, things in relationship, area of a lot of stuff that I interviewed about expertise in COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so good, by the way. Thank you for that. Kept me fucking sane. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I'm going to do a solo episode just in talking to you. It just really reminds me to be in integrity with my own voice. I'm going to do a solo episode on like, what was my journey of awareness in the last three years? Because I think a lot of people who um, may not agree with me, which is totally fair and I, and I respect, they just might not have a window into what was my process. Then I'm not just like some fucking guy who hopped on a train thinking there's vac- bots and a vaccine. <laughs> like that's mm-hmm. not at all my process. <laughs> it was like I actually went at it from a scientific perspective and I just yeah. couldn't, I just couldn't make it work. Like it mm-hmm. just wasn't making sense. And, uh, and it doesn't make sense. So when something doesn't make sense, I'm not going to abandon my own mental health. I'm going to call out the thing that doesn't make sense. Um, which is, mm-hmm. again, a tale as old as time. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like embrace this belief that's destructive or destroy yourself. So no, like mm-hmm. liberate ourselves from beliefs that don't make sense. Mm-hmm. Thanks for Absolutely. having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, everybody, that was the wonderful Mark Groves. And so glad if you made it to the end of this episode. I hope, I hope you have a new perspective and um, understand the way forward is unity, right? Like that's, that's what we need to focus on. So we'll catch you all on the next episode. Thanks so much for sharing your time and energy with us today. We'd love to hear your feedback on how our podcast has impacted your life and are also open to suggestions for new and interesting topics. Please leave your comments with a quick review to help us grow this magical community of wellness warriors and light workers. Every month, we select one lucky reviewer to win a big magic box containing all three of our beautiful magic lattes. To connect with us further, check us out on Instagram at wild underscore remedies. Thank you again and see you at the next episode.